you have your Bibles, I want you to grab, um, grab it and go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and just park it there for a minute. I just want to share, I'm going to change my directions here and just share a little devotional thought and see how long it goes and where it goes and what God wants to speak to us. But I was struck by something that um, actually Sharon said to me earlier this week. Uh, I don't know if many of you um, have been aware, but basically I've been talking a little bit about how like, you know, we have a newborn at our house, four months old, and uh, my wife gets a lot less sleep than I do. And I'm realizing that, you know, I'm a little older than her. And so, I don't know, maybe that's an excuse or not. But I'm seeing that sleep is affecting me more than it is affecting me in times past. And um, I've been realizing that I'm feeling a little ragged lately. And it's the lack of sleep and then the busyness of life. And, and uh, you know, I was talking to a friend and saying, hey, man, when I leave the church and I leave work and... You know, it's not like I can go home and that's that. Any parents here, you kind of understand that reality. It's not like you're going to go home, sit down and relax. And, you know, it's time to kick up, you know, kick back and relax. No, it's like, okay, let's, uh, these kids got to get taken care of, diapers and bath time. And, oh, let's get dinner going. And, oh, okay, now we got to you know, read stories and get bedtime routines going. Oh, and they don't want to cooperate with this. All right, got it. Okay, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, oh, by the way, I need to get back to work at some point. And hey, there's dishes in the, di in, in the sink and there's laundry to be folded. Man, I'm embarrassed to say, but my, my clothes live in the laundry basket at my house. I'm embarrassed about that. And, you know, I need to fix that. I need to put them in the drawers and put them away. But it's like by the time I'm ready to put them away, there's another mountain of laundry to do. I just can't catch up. But all of this activity and all of this striving and all of this doing and, and all of that stuff, my immunities got low. And this week, you know, I started coughing. And, you know, I've taken two COVID tests. So, by the way, one of which was this morning. So I don't have COVID. And, all right, you don't have to be afraid of me. I will make sure to keep sanitizer around so I can say hello to you at the end of service. But all of this, my body started getting ragged and run down. And Sharon came into my office, asked me, how you doing? And I'm like, ah, I'm not feeling too good because she's hearing me coughing. She's like, I'll be right back. I'm like, okay. She comes back like 20 minutes later with like three different bottles of vitamins and, and uh, these gummies and that gummies of this and that. She's like, take this right now. Start taking this right now. And I'm like, okay, I will. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I'm not going to leave until I see you do it. And she says to me, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't take care of anyone else. And that statement just kind of like percolating in my heart. And I don't have a solid, crazy, elaborate sermon for you this morning. I have a thought. Because I've been thinking about that. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to take care of anyone else. And it got me thinking, all right, me, a pastor, a person who's, you know, 37 years old, and I've, I've been through some experiences, not all of them, and some of you have lived way longer than me, but I should know enough by now that that is absolutely the truth. If I don't take care of myself, I won't be able to take care of anyone else. If I can't manage myself and take care of myself, I won't be able to supply the needs of my children. I can't take care of what they need. I won't be able to do the routines and, and, and keep up with them and, and what the responsibilities of my life, of the church, 
church. I won't be able to do that. And started making me think, what's my theology about my body? A couple years back, I was hearing about, you know, I, I come from Brazil, and I've been here ever since I was about two years old, but, you know, there's people who are always emigrating to this country for the American dream. Right? And so many of us in our family heritage, we can say, hey, we have family members who emigrated here for the American dream, and they worked hard and all this stuff. I, was, I, was, I remember be, talking to a family member. They were talking about a, a gentleman who had come from Brazil, and this guy came, and he's working hard, working hard to provide for his family back home. And, and this gentleman had recently passed away. And I'm like, what is going on? Because when I heard his story, he would work two or three jobs from sun up to sundown, and this man would basically eat like ramen noodles. And that was all he was eating. Why? Because he was trying to get every single penny that he was earning to send back home to build his house and bless his family and do this project and, and, and advance his life and provide and all these things. And so he would not take care of his body because he was taking care of the people back home. And it came to a point where he was no longer able to do that. What's the theology that we have of our body? If I look around and just kind of peek into our culture here in America, how many of us would say we are absolutely blessed here in this country? Yeah, we're so blessed that there's about 300,000 plus deaths related to obesity in our country every year. Over 100,000 related to alcoholism. How many related to drug use? What is the theology of our body? I'm, I'm wondering, as, as this statement stuck with me, you can't take care of anyone else if you don't take care of yourself. Thank you, Sharon. I'm wondering how many of us just have a faulty view of our bodies and the theology behind it. How many of us are, you know, indulging in, you know, uh, uncontrolled appetites? How many of us are ignoring the actual needs of our body? How many of us are just going, you know, so completely in the opposite direction that we want to divorce ourselves from this body because, oh my gosh, one day I'm going to reign with Jesus and I'm so heavenly minded that I am no earthly good. So if you don't mind, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Thank you, Lord, for not coughing all throughout this introduction. I praise you, Jesus. First Corinthians chapter six. You know, as, as I meet with people, as I you know, look at my own life and I contemplate what's going on within our culture, um, this scripture just jumped out at me. First Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and these people are living in a time and an age where there's a lot of indulgence. There's a lot of different ideologies, and there was a couple of thoughts related to the human body. But here we go. Let's read it today, and we'll look at a couple of different ideas. First Corinthians 6, chapter, uh, 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, I thank you for these two verses that is within a context of something that's very interesting. But God, I pray that you would just help us to see these truths this morning. Help us, Lord God, to take action. Lord Jesus, awake us. Awaken us through your holy word. 
In Jesus' name, amen. In the days that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, it's written to a people in a culture that was heavily influenced by the Greeks. And these guys looked down on their bodies. They had a very, uh, they had two opposing views. They had this idea that, you know, basically, there was a proverbial saying that would say, the body is a tomb. What's most important is a person's soul, a person's spirit. The body itself is a tomb. It's, it's a place of death. It's a place of inconsequence. It's a thing that does not matter. And so some felt that the body was so unimportant that you could do whatever you liked because it did not matter. Only the things of the spirit matter. So I can do whatever I want and subject this body of mine to whatever thing. I can satisfy the urges and desires of this body because that is really just something that will die away. Really what's important is what I do with my spirit, what I do with my soul. That is the thing that will have lasting value and importance and so on and so forth. There was another view that, you know what, the body is so terrible that, you know what, I need to do everything to get away from it. So I need to be constantly beating it up and, and putting it into submission to a place of contortion and twisted, you know, uh, perspective and attention where, you know, everything was just vile. And I have to be so heavenly minded. And I have to take everything up. I can't take credit for it. I can't look at this thing that I have, this, this body that my soul inhabits. I have to just try to get away from it as much as I can and suppress everything and anything at all times because it's evil. So Paul is living within this context. He sees the Corinthian church, and, and he, you know, if you look at the context of chapter 6, he's going to talk a lot about uh, sexual immorality and different things related to lust and all that stuff, and that's the context in which you get this. But I want to focus on just some, some basics this morning. Paul wanted them to know that God views the body as important. Someone says, your body is important. My body is important. Come on, say it out loud so that your body can actually hear it. Let your ears hear it. My body is important. It is. It's important. He wanted to inform that the attitude regarding our body needs to be checked at times. He wanted to challenge them to view their body in a perspective in which God would view their bodies. Because they were going in these two different tracks into very tricky and treacherous environments, conclusions, actions, decisions. That which God so honors as to not allow it to remain in humiliation forever should receive the most careful attention from us. When Jesus Christ was resurrected, it was not just his soul that was resurrected, but his body was resurrected as well. And if God cared to resurrect the body of Christ, then that indicates to us that the body of man has some value. Can someone say amen? So let's consider the body under these ideas here today. Number one, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. First and foremost, it says here, verse 19, what? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? It's a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you which you have from God. Number one, the body is a temple. 
Our body is a temple. In the Old Testament, God had temples uh, for his presence. He had a temple, a sanctuary, where he would come down in his kabod, his, 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 his presence would you know, inhabit and, and kind of hover over and, and take you know, um, place in, and, and he would congregate in that space. And when the tabernacle was, was done away with and the temple was erected, he would, you know, inhabit the Holy of Holies. There was a temple where his people could go to to connect with the presence of God. In the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. He does not have a physical being, a place, a space, a temple for, say, a tabernacle. But he has a people which he declares to abide in. The body of every believer becomes, at the moment of salvation, the place, the temple for the Holy Spirit. When we come into a relationship with God, we are said to to have the presence of God come and abide within us. Abide in me and I shall abide in you. He takes up, you know, residence within the body of man. And the temple was a place that Paul wanted them to realize your body is a temple. Your body takes on that same relationship. Your body is housing a great, incredible person. That is the person of the Holy Spirit. I know that many of you have a very good view and a very good perspective concerning this physical church building. I appreciate, you know, from Francisco who does the landscaping and and serves there to Jose who comes in and fixes things and Tim who maintains the, you know, the the, the HVAC systems and Geraldo who does a great job cleaning our church and our sanctuary and and the daycare. You know, we will see something on the floor, we'll pick it up, we'll try to clean things up and, and we take care of this church building. And that's great. We have a very good view, a very good, you know, attitude towards, you know, there's, there's some, somewhat of a reverence related to this. I've seen parents, and I know it's cultural as well, that sometimes you'll see kids even running around in the sanctuary. You can't run in there or, hey, don't, don't come and bring coffee in here. Not that, like, you know, coffee is offensive to God in the sanctuary. It's just a matter of, like, we want to maintain this place and, and keep it well maintained and, and, and keep it clean and, and not have, you know, things get spoiled and, and attract pests or whatever it is, right? We, we have this idea of taking care of church buildings. The sanctuary is maintained with special attention and cleanliness and all of that. And there's a high degree of reverence that is shown to what we call commonly the house of God. Yet Acts chapter 17, verse 24 The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He dwells in the body of man. He dwells in the body of every believer. So how must, you know, this attitude within us change? If we are to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, if there is a holy person that is, you know, abiding within us, how must the Spirit of God be grieved in many of the uses that we use the Christian body for. How often is the Holy Spirit grieved because things that we would never do to defile this church building here will say, it's okay for me to do with my own body. There's things that we would never do when we come and enter into the church. I'm not going to do this in this place because God is supposed to be abiding in this space. So I won't do that. But then when it comes to this temple, when we step away from this building, What are some of the things that we are doing that the holy person would say, man, that hurts. I don't like that. 
That grieves me. That quenches my spirit. That, that leads me to not want to abide and stay and remain in this space. Nothing that would be wrong in the building called the church is proper for the body of the child of God. The body is a temple. Number two, the body is a trust. If you look, he says, you are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price. The claim that every single believer has to deal with and reconcile is this. Say it with me. I am not my own. I am not my own. You are not your own. And this flies completely in the face of the culture that is hypersensitive to our own personal needs and our responsibilities, who is very individualistic and self-centered and, per, you know, where we proclaim all of our personal rights. This is very, very countercultural. Yet, I am not my own. You ever heard this? My body, my choice. My body, my choice. And, oh, okay, well, we all have autonomy, sure. God's given us free will, no problem. But when the Spirit of God comes to abide within us, you know, He who gives us the breath of life, uh, it's no longer my body, my choice. No longer just what my way or the highway dictates. Our body is a trust. And our bodies are the property of Him who purchased us at such a great cost. Oftentimes, we, we look at something and we declare its value based on how much we're willing to spend on it, how much it, we ascribe value to it, what the appraisal of that item, whether it's a house or an item or an opportunity, what is the opportunity cost towards this thing, we declare value based on how much it would cost. And consider with me the cost of our redemption. It tells us in, in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Since my body belongs to God, and it is his temple, he loans this body to me as a trust. How many of you have ever loaned your car to somebody? Anybody? I've loaned my car to people before, and after I get my car back, how come my radio doesn't work anymore? Uh, really? I've loaned my car before, and after I got it, there was no gas in the tank, and the car was completely filthy. And I'm like, what is the deal? If I borrow something from somebody, it's not mine. They're doing me a favor. I want to repay that kindness and give it back to them in a better condition than they gave it to me. And so our body is a trust. It does not belong to me, but he has loaned it to me to use. If God's given it to me, I want to give it back to him in a good way. I want to say, Lord, thank you for this gift. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this treasure that you've given to me. It's not mine, so I'm going to take good care of it. And some of us are really good at taking care of our cars, right? I Sam, you're retired. It's pretty cool that you get to go to Scrub-A-Dub, and he takes really good care of his car. He goes every day. It's his routine. And I'm like, man, my car needs a pampering like that. But he keeps his car nice and clean. And this is not knocking him. But there's some of us that we're much better at taking care 
you know, of our iPhones and getting all the screen protectors in. And the minute there's a crack, we go back to the store and we pay the price to get the nice one on. And, and we'll buy, you know, all these things to insulate it and protect it. We're nice at, you know, keeping our homes clean and taking care of making sure everything's going to be good. And we got insurance on it. And we got this and that. And we do all of these different things. But yet, what about this body? What about this body? Are we good at taking care of this? Because number three, our bodies have to be a testimony. Our bodies is to be a testimony. He says this, verse 20, so glorify God in your body. The purpose of your body is to bring glory to God. And the whole point of this message, as it struck me, Sharon said, take care of yourself or you won't take care of anyone else. How can I take care of other people how can I, you know, take care of this thing that God's entrusted to me, that, abide, that his Holy Spirit abides in this temple? How will I bless and bring glory to God if I'm chronically ill and if I'm dead? There's some of us, I remember talking to someone a while ago, and they hadn't been to the doctor in decades. He's like, I just don't want to go. I don't want to know what's under the hood. And then something happened, and they, and they went, and, and then they got better, and, and it was awesome, right? So there was a positive outcome. We'll go, and I'll, we'll fix our cars. We'll maintain our cars. We'll do oil changes. We'll wash it. We'll clean it. We'll do all of these different things. But here's the deal. If we just don't maintain it and take care of it, the length of how long we'll be able to utilize and take advantage of that blessing. The number of rides you'll be giving to somebody in that car of yours, if you never take care of it, will be limited. You won't be able to bring glory to God by giving rides to people to church if you never change the oil in your car. You won't be able to bring someone to come to know the, the love of Jesus Christ because you went to meet them in a time of need if you never maintained your brakes and all of that stuff within your car. You will not be able to utilize it to bring glory to God. And if you look at the culture and the context of our world, you look at, you know, I was thinking, I'm going to speak on, 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 on gluttony. I'm going to talk about, you know, overindulgence. And, and you're just thinking about this context. It just goes beyond food. But think about food for a second. You know, how many of us, you know, where we're going through a tough time, a turmoil, or we're going through, you know, uh, something that's lacking in our life, and then we turn to what we call comfort food. And some of us have been comforted for far too long. We're getting a lot of comfort and we're failing to take care of the body. And, you know, some of us, we've, we've gone through that. And I'm speaking to myself, all right, because uh, when it comes to the area of gluttony and, and it comes to the area of, you know, uncontrolled appetites, it's not just related to, you know, how much weight is going to show up on the scale. All right, body types, there's heredity, there's genetics, there's metabolisms, there's, there's, you know, medications, there's a whole bunch of different things that will contribute to someone's weight. So before you start judging and believing that I'm talking about somebody who is looking a little bigger than life, okay, that's not where I'm going. Because God is talking to us about what's happening inside, what's happening up here with our perspective and our mindset. It's not judging by the outward appearance, but judging by the heart. That's critical when we look at the word. Is that not what God did with David? 
He said, don't, don't be looking, Samuel, at the outward appearance of all these other brothers that look incredible and like they could be king. Yeah, King Saul was higher than everybody else and handsome to the appearance. But yeah, look what happened. What was in his heart? How, how did that work out for him? So, so please, I'm not talking about this, but think about this reality. We, we go through a hard time and we turn to food. Or you know what? We, um, we, we have some anxiety and we turn to food. We, we have some anxiety and then we turn to, you know, entertainment. We have some, some issue and challenge and, and we want to face acceptance or, or be validated and no one's there. And what happens? We turn to something else to bring us comfort. We go in, into, you know, something that is out of balance in terms of our habits, our hobbies. We invite things into our lives. So many times in the scripture, there's this concept God speaks of, of people, and he uses lessons talking about a city. And a city would have walls, and it would have gates. Nehemiah, when he was uh, contemplating Israel and its condition, he realized that those city walls were broken, and, and the gates were destroyed. And it grieved him because, you know, wild animals and, and, and pillagers and all these different people would come in and ravage the city and, and just abuse the people there. And so it broke his heart that that was the condition of the city walls, the city gates. You know, stop and think about this. If, if the city gates were important for a city, uh, don't we have gates within our bodies that we need to be aware of and mindful? Here's one right here. This is a gate right there. This is a gate right here. Some of us are just putting everything in. Some of us are letting anything go in through this gate. Some of us, this is a gate right here. What are we doing? What activities are we, you know, laying our hands to? What are we, you know, incorporating into our lives? Here's another gate. Our feet. Where are we going? Are all of these gates, of all of these things, are they here to glorify God or to satisfy an uncontrolled appetite? God is going to, you know, sometimes I look at that passage of the parable of the talents and I think about it from the context of time. I think about it from the context of abilities. I look at all you musicians and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm envious of you guys. I wish I could worship God the way you guys do and play an instrument and just jam out to God and be like, man, giving him my own personal concert. But that's not my talent or ability. And amen to God. God's going to judge you on your uh, utilization of those skills. We think about the resources that we have, the money, the house, the, the possessions and all the things that we have. And, and it's easy to think of the parable, the talents in that way. But here's one. When God is asking for us to give an account of our lives and we're before his Bema seat judgment and we're going to be there, he's going to ask us, what did we do with our bodies? How many of us pointed people to God through what we did with the hand gate, the ear gate, the mouth gate, the feet gate? How many of us are going to say, hey, uh, God, this is what I did with my body? And I encourage people to honor you and to worship you. He's going to redeem the body. He's going to raise it up. So it's not just a matter of my soul goes to heaven. He's going to give us a new glorified body. And it's incredible. But my question is, how many of us have just disregarded that? You won't be able to take care of anyone else if you don't take care of yourself. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our body is the instrument through which we are able to bring God glory on earth. Because it's through your body that you control your mouth. 
It's in your body that you control your actions, your deeds, your exploits. It's through your body, your mind, your ability to think that you draw up ideas and you, and you create initiatives and you go out there and fulfill things, creating businesses and launching initiatives and movements and inspiring people. Through It's through your body that you can compel somebody into action and, and motivate somebody and, and persuade someone into a change of lifestyle. It's through your body of moving and acting and, and fulfilling as an example that you can instigate change within this world so don't say that hey I just need to go down and pray and be super spiritual it's gonna be my soul and my spirit that's gonna bring people to change they're looking at you and you know what he who is spirit decided to abide within a human form and through his time on earth he fulfilled a bunch of glory and brought glory to the Father that was Jesus Christ Thank the Lord that he took on that which was marred in the garden. When the enemy came and saw that God decided to have fellowship with man and he had a plan and a purpose, devil came in and he destroyed that plan in the sense where he marred the human body and human existence, bringing curse, death, disease, sickness, all that kind of stuff, sin into the world that has permanently marred the human body. Yet God decides, I'm going to redeem that by sending my son to take on human flesh and that which has been corrupted, I will make uncorruptible and I will glorify it. And forever will Jesus be in the image, take on the appearance, have the, the, the nature and the essence of a human body. We will recognize him when we come face to face once again in bodily shape. So church, I say all of this. What are some of the applications, some of the things that we need to be aware of? If we are <clears throat> going to just have a proper theology about our bodies, then that means we need to start taking some and, and paying some attention to it. We need to get practical. And like I said, this is not a mind-blowing sermon. It's just something that I want us to be challenged because I've met with too many people and they say to me, Pastor, I know I have this issue, but I just don't have time to deal with it. Or pastor, I know that if I could just change this, why, it, maybe it's an addiction that's in our lives. Maybe it's, it's something that's a stronghold within our lives. We can't break out of it. Like if I were to just get rid of this issue here within my body, I know that it would bless other areas of my life and family and my spiritual life and my longevity and my energy and my stamina, stamina, stamina sorry, and all of these different things. But something has to shift. Something has to shift. Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Second Peter 2 9, but you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to proclaim God's excellencies and we will not be able to do so if we don't take care of ourselves. So what can you do? Well, first, I think that, you know, if we're just going to get practical, then we need to just count our blessings first and foremost. First of all, we need a proper understanding of the blessings of God and the blessings of God that is brought into our lives. Food and drink are all viewed as a gift from God. You know, our possessions, material things, our resources, all of those are, you know, um, blessings and gifts from God. Our leisure even and our enjoyment, our hobbies, those things that bring us, you know, joy, those are gifts from God. And we need to count those things appropriately. 
Some of us are having inappropriate relationships with the gifts that God has given us. We have an inappropriate relationship with food, an inappropriate relationship with our phones, an inappropriate relationship with social media, an inappropriate relationship with talking on the phone, an inappropriate relationship with fill in the blank that was meant to be a gift from God. So let's change our perspective in these things and let's utilize the tools, the blessings, the purposes that God has for us in how he's endowed us and entrusted us with the blessings he's given to us, of which our bodies is one of them. Number two, what do you do simply, practically? You know what? You need to account to other people. Here's a simple fact. Most people need support when it comes to their uncontrolled appetites. You know, whether that is actual physical food or whether that's, you know, keeping your body in check, whether that is your social media usage, you know what, get an accountability partner. It's so much easier to go work out if you have someone that's going to ask you to come do it. It's a lot easier for you to stay away from the pornography websites if everything within your phone is going to get reported to somebody else. Honestly, I got accountability software on all my computers and devices and it goes to another pastor friend of mine. Why? Because I don't want the temptation there. I want him to get a report. And sometimes he's like, hey, I, I saw this coming up. What, what's this? I'm like, man, that, that was a pop-up that showed up. And the minute that thing came up, and it was like, what? Somebody was advertising bikinis or something. And I, I just want that to go. I need accountability. You know, some of us need accountability when it comes to how much food we eat. You know, maybe come up with an agreement and understanding. Get somebody to be your designated hitter, okay? You know, there's a designated hitters in baseball, people who are, are going to be sluggers. These guys, you know, um, they, they are going to hit the ball so, and have other people run uh, and all this other stuff. Maybe select somebody to be your designated hitter. Come over here and just knock me upside the head if I'm going in the bad direction. If I'm about to indulge in something that I shouldn't be indulging, can you be my checkmate? And for some of us, we don't need to look too far. We can just ask our spouse and we got to do this in love. So figure out a proper way and come up with an agreed upon plan. Don't just start hitting and bashing and, and being like, hey, how come you're eating another cheesecake or whatever? How come you're doing this or that? Come up with a plan and have an agreement and say, hey, you know what? Help me. Honey, here's put a password. And by the way, honey, you got to change the password on my phone for me to not watch, not watch videos and all that stuff and waste my time because our kid's birthday was a very, very easy password to figure out. Because of an uncontrolled appetite, there was time that I just wanted to watch the next video. And it's stupid. I love watching those fail videos online of people's mistakes. You know, it's just funny. People like mess up and fall. You know, it's funny. I know I shouldn't be laughing at someone's misery and it was difficult, but it's online for someone's enjoyment. <laughs> Lord, help me. Forgive me. I need to confess in church. But the passcode came through and it said, hey, put in your passcode if you want to watch more because your screen time is limited. Thank you, honey, for being my designated hitter and putting that on. I just got to ask you, change the password because I figured it out. And now the accountability isn't working anymore. Some of us, you know, we don't have any accountability in our lives. And in the area of our physical body, like, I know it's kind of taboo, like, you know, it's the classic joke. The, the wife shows up to the husband, honey, how do I look in this dress? You know, I think Twix had an interesting commercial because at that moment, the guy, the woman comes up and then Twix, uh, the guy just grabs a Twix and shoves it in his mouth and he's eating. He's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he didn't answer the question. 
Because, you know, there's no proper answer to that question. But yet, we need to figure out a way that we can be truthful, that we can call people to their higher calling, that we can show people the theology of their body, that, hey, I'm not doing this to bash you or to show you or body shame you or anything else. I'm not doing this to tell you that you're a terrible person with the use of your time, that you are, you know, um, just useless when it comes to how you utilize your resources and, and you're ignorant when it comes to how you utilize your money. Like, that's not the goal. That's not the heart. But if we could just build proper accountability, why do you think Weight Watchers works so well? Because they have accountability built into it. They have somebody there who's going to check in on you and hold you to your commitments. Some of us just need some accountability. How else do you deal with this the wrong theology of our bodies? Well, you got to train it. And this is the hardest of all of them. It's hard for me. It's hard for me. I, like, you know, I go outside and I play with my son, and I'm only 37, and I'm like, man, how come I'm so winded and tired, and I'm not a smoker? I've never smoked in my life, and yet I'm, like, exhausted after playing with him for a little while. I was like, yeah, let's go inside and play Paw Patrol. Let's go inside and play this. Let's go watch some TV. Let's go do X, Y, Z, because I'm just exhausted. And could it be that I'm just not training my body and I'm disciplining my body? We all want the magic pill. We all want the easy solution. We want something to just come in. It's typical when we have a problem, when we have, you know, we want more of God. We want God to move in our lives. We want that quick fix. What is the program? What is the scripture I got to read? What is, what is the prayer meeting I got to go to? Who is the pastor that needs to come and pray over me and everything's going to be different? I'm going to have deliverance in my life and things are going to change. You know, when it comes to our bodies... Uh, we, we're, we might be overweight or, or have high cholesterol or XYZ or we might be within the weight range that we're supposed to but there's something wrong and we have no energy, no stamina. There's all of these things. We want the quick pill solution. What is the fad diet? What is the, the answer? Who is the person I got to listen to? What do I need to do? Yet oftentimes the reality is you just need some discipline. We need to do the hard work of discipline. We want more of God and, and to be used by him. We want the, 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 the person within the temple to just break out and start doing some incredible things, signs, miracles, and wonders to follow. Then we need to be disciplined in praying. We need to be disciplined in reading our word. We need to be disciplined in fasting and seeking God's presence. Disciplined in spending time with the saints and, and being sharpened by other iron. You know, iron sharpening iron. We need to do the work of discipline as opposed to asking for that quick fix solution. If we're going to get a proper theology of our bodies, then we need to live under the influence of discipline and not our uncontrolled appetites. We need to subject our bodies like Paul says, man, I beat my body into submission. I don't box like one who's boxing aimlessly, but I strive, I press on towards the mark. I discipline this thing. And that is a taboo word in our culture today. And we know that it's the answer. It's there. It's not rocket science, but we need to do it. You know, some of us, we need to learn how to start fasting. You know that the early church, there's a, a document called the Didache, um, and it was a document, like a manual, a Christian manual for the early church. And these guys used to, part of their practice, they used to fast twice a week, on Wednesdays and Fridays. Twice a week. It was just built into their lifestyle. They would fast. 
there is something that happens, and I need to get better at this myself. You know, I've done some Daniel fasts and things like during the beginning of the year, and it's incredible moments of prayer and time of, of pressing into God where I'm telling my physical body and the appetites of my life because I'll fast other things other than just food. Like there's activities and hobbies and stuff that I'll fast as well. And in that moment, instead of doing those things, I'm pressing in to pray. I'm pressing in to consider God. I'm, I'm re-looking at the benefits and the blessings and the things that God gives to me to do in light of what he's done for me. And in those moments, there's an incredible connection with the Holy Spirit there's an incredible power like you feel like you're in the center of God's will fasting will do something why because it tells you that you know it, it realigns things to say who's in control it's not you body but it's God it's the Holy Spirit it's not you flesh it's not your stomach and Paul says some of them are headed towards destruction because their stomach is their God their appetites are their gods Lord, help us to get a new understanding and theology of our body. That you abide here. This is your temple. That, Lord, you've given this to us as a trust. And that, Father, we should be testimonies, walking billboards in our bodies for your glory. There's some people that you look and you say, man, they're, they're, they're upwards in years and they are dedicated and disciplined and they're working out time and time again there's this guy who who uh, i've seen videos of him online he he i'm like lord redeem this man i'm praying for him because he 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 has a good attitude in terms of working out and being disciplined but he's got a foul mouth and 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 difficult upbringing and military background and all that stuff i'm like lord redeem him but he he talks about how you know he, he doesn't enjoy like it's not like he loves and looks forward to and yearns to go work out but it's something he has to do in order to be able to do that which he knows his body can do if we become disciplined ask the lord father change my perspective that if i can become a disciplined person if i can count my blessings to what you've done in my life, if i can build accountability partners within my life Help me so that I can do all of these things in order to bring you glory. Not because I want to do these things, but because in doing these things, I get to be a walking billboard for you. And people will glorify you and come to know you because I kept the temple, the trust, and the testimony well. Will you join me and stand up? I invite the team to come on back. The average human heart, I don't know if you knew this, but just think about the intricacies of what the body is and what God has done. It pumps more than 1,000 gallons a day and more than 55 million gallons in a lifetime. That's enough to fill 13 super tankers. The heart never sleeps, beating 2.5 billion times in a lifetime. The lungs, they contain 1,000 miles of capillaries. And process, the process of exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide is so complicated that it's more difficult to exchange O2 for CO2 than for a man uh, to shoot out of a cannon and carve the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pin as he passes by. The human DNA contains about 2,000 genes per chromosome, and 1.8 meters of DNA are folded into each cell nucleus which is six microns long. This is like putting 30 miles of fishing line into a cherry pit. 
And it isn't simply stuffed in it, it's folded in, and it's folded one way, and the cell becomes a skin cell. In another way, a liver cell, and so on and so forth. To write out the information in one cell would take 300 volumes, each 500 pages thick. The human body contains enough DNA that if it were to be stretched out, it would circle the sun 260 times. The body uses energy efficiently. If an average adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 miles per hour, the body uses the amount of energy contained in three ounces of carbohydrate. If a car were to drive that efficiently on gasoline, it would get 900 miles to the gallon. Do you think that we need a better theology of our bodies? This thing that God so fearfully and wonderfully made, whom he decided to redeem by sending his son to abide within one. How dare we say to God, this is the temple you've given me, the trust that you've bestowed upon me, and I have done nothing to bring a testimony to you. Today, I just want you to contemplate as we come to this table and we realize that he who loved us so much Redeem the body by allowing his to be broken for you. How are we bringing glory and testimony to God by how we utilize our body? Could you just bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that you would just speak life inside of our minds right now. Lord, I pray that as you've given this message to me, Lord Jesus, and we contemplate the culture and the context. Lord, help us to have a new view of this incredible gift that you've given to each of us. Father, forgive us for using it for selfish means. For Lord God, leading it to places that would grieve your spirit. For Lord God, taking things upon our bodies and incorporating our bodies to things that Lord Jesus would grieve your Holy Spirit. Pray that you would move upon us, God. Give us a new outlook, a new stamina, a new desire, a new determination, a new goal, Lord God, a new impetus. Let us not wait for the doctor to tell us you have X amount of time because of how you decided to live. You're not gonna be able to keep up. Your body will give out. Lord, help us to not wait until something drastic and terrible happens, but help us, Father, to do that which we know is right, for you've embedded eternity in our hearts, and we know that we have gifts from you that we need to give back to you. Lord, I pray that you would move upon us. Lord, for those of us who are having issues, I know we talked about a lot of things, but Lord, we're living in addictions, living in brokenness, living, Lord God, without control in areas whether that be food or, or, or the lust of our eyes or, Father, the activities of our hands, Father, the, the words coming out of our mouths, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would allow us the strategies to overcome. Lord, lead us to counselors, to therapists, to doctors, to people, Father, that will lead us to, to Lord God, uh, advisors that will encourage us, Father, to people who will have the, the resources and, and, and the strategies to help us overcome, Lord. Let us not just be ignorant and say, this is what I'm resigned to and I'm going to deal with. Father, help us to change. Remove the excuses from our hearts. Remove the lies, Lord God, from our minds. 
Whatever foothold the enemy has inside of our lives, Lord, we cancel it and we lift it to you and we give it back to you. Empower us. Help us. In Jesus' name.